Hello and welcome to Success Stories. I'm Kendra Hall, Chief Storytelling Officer at Success Magazine, and this is the podcast where we sit down with the brightest stars and the boldest thought leaders as they share their stories so you can create your own success story. Today's interview was a special treat for me. I got to speak with Rory Vaden, an old friend and the brand new editor of Entrepreneurship at Success Magazine. This interview ranges from all different areas of life, but the theme in all of it is what it really takes to be an entrepreneur. I can't wait for you to hear this message. Now, Rory Vaden, if you don't know, is the best-selling author of Take the Stairs, a world-renowned keynote speaker and the co-founder of Brand Builders Group. But the most exciting aspect of his bio, as I mentioned, is he is joining me on the Success Editorial Board. He'll be covering everything having to do with entrepreneurship and hosting his own podcast, The Success Line. Rory Vaden, welcome to Success. We are so excited to hear your stories. <laughs> Yay, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. We are old friends, which people don't realize. We come from separate paths, reunited. I think we're even older friends than you know, actually. Oh. I know. Because you remember when we first like met face-to-face was at the event in Florida. What would that have been? Like 2017, uh, maybe? 17, some, something yeah. like that. But we actually, I saw you at an event um, years before that talking really? about taking the stairs. I think no you got an eight-minute slot. Um, and I remember sitting in the audience, this was, I was working as an executive at a company and I remember watching and thinking, I think I would like doing that job. Thinking I could do this better than this guy. I was like, guy. he's not that good. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, no. So, so we go back even further than you know, Rory. Wow. That's awesome. Was it the direct selling association it was, convention? It was. Yeah. That, I remember that because it was, it was a, it was a really difficult gig. It was like four in the afternoon. There was the room sat like two thousand people, and there were probably twenty in there. I know one of them though. One of them was Kendra Hall though. It was, and that's all that matters. And now here I, we are. Together. You know the other the other one was Darren Hardy. He was there. Yeah. That was where I met Darren. Oh, that's um, where I met Darren too. Well, is that that was that that same? So what yeah. apropos? Anyways, well, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm, so excited to have you here and so excited to have you as an official member of Success. And speaking of success, you get the same treatment that everybody else does, even though we go way back and you're part uh, of the editorial team. But this is where I like to start because I have been fascinated with this question. At first, it hmm. sounds like kind of a gimme question, but I've been thinking about it a lot from my life. And particularly as the entrepreneur editor, this is a question that entrepreneurs have to ask themselves. And that is Rory. What is success to you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm actually going to steal this definition Ooh. from a conversation that I had backstage one time with the legendary John Maxwell. Ah, yes. 
because I ask anybody's stuff. It should be his. That's yeah, right. that's right. You right now, when you quote this, quote me. Don't quote okay, John. Okay, you quote well, me. It's the next okay, generation. Just, yeah, put the hyphen and then put my my handle. Yeah. But um, I actually asked him this question uh, the very first time I met him. We shared the stage at this event. Um, and here's what he said to me. He said, Rory, the, the, the more that time has gone on in my life, the more I realize that success is simply having the people who know you the best respect you the most. Wow. Having the people who know you the best respect you the most. And so it hit me because I realized that, my gosh, most of my life has been about trying to get the people who I know the least Mm -hmm. to respect me the most. And it was like the opposite basically of how I had been operating my entire life. Wow. So this is so fascinating having heard different versions of that answer for as you know, many guests as have been on this show. And if I were to put them on a continuum, um, I would say that that is the closest to like the definition of like self-actualization, like it's the closest, like if you were to put Maslow's hierarchy Mm. there, that that, because it, if you think about it, and it's interesting that you say that it was the reverse of what you'd been working towards, but it also calls you to be internally a better version of your So let's talk about this. So I, I am actually, it's funny you bring this up because, uh, you mentioned Maslow's hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have been, uh, just working on a a piece and have been adapting this because I think Maslow's hierarchy has been such a, a, a valuable part of the development of, you know, modern day psychology. But yes, I think Maslow missed it. Mm hmm. I think that their self-actualization is not the highest rung because in many ways we have more opportunities for self-actualization, self-expression today than ever before. We all have this platform to like let the world know what we believe in and who we are. And yet in many ways, I think things like social media have led to more depression mm-hmm. and, and also, you know, my entire life now has been around studying ultra performers all the way back from the take the stairs book to the stuff we do at brand builders group now. And what I have noticed is that these true ultra performers, you know, once they have a certain level of notoriety, fame, influence, um, money, status, whatever you want to call it, it, it never satisfies. Mm -hmm. And the thing, there is one thing that does satisfy though, but it's not self-actualization. It's others actualization. And so I think that there is a rung above that. And it's Mm -hmm. not that Maslow was wrong, but I think he fell just a little bit short and that the, the real true source of satisfaction, joy, purpose, meaning, fulfillment actually comes from the feeling we get when we help others succeed. And that is something that I think only a very small you know, portion of people ever understand and actually orient their life in that way. And um, that has been a, a life-changing wake-up call for me in recent years. Well, and you put the two of those things together, that, that idea, that additional rung, 
plus that particular definition of success. And yes, the people who know you the best and respect you the most will respect you in part, probably because of the reciprocity that you've fed into, that you've given to them and that you, you know, that, uh, cyclical serving each other, that, uh, that aspect of other fascinating. Yeah. See, this is, yeah. we knew this was going to be good. You did ask at the, when we were off screen, like how much time do we have? I realize now why that was. Cause we, we have a lot of catching up to do and we might just yeah. do it all right here on this. Let's recording. do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Well, I, um, speaking of catching up and getting your life story, I think we, there's there's a lot that I want to talk about here, but I think before we jump into that, I want people to know who you are. Where do you come from? What is mm. your story? And essentially, then why are you the entrepreneur editor now here with success? <laughs> so so take me all the, like Chunk in uh, Goonies. Take me all the way why back to the Why are you qualified grade. to be the entrepreneurship <laughs> editor exactly? <laughs> Because I'm skeptical. Skeptical. <laughs> there, there may, I'm not thinking that. There may be someone thinking. Not me, yeah. of course, Roy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting, Kendra, because I've spent my entire life studying success. I mean, that I, is is in a weird way, and I would say influence specifically is is what I have studied. And you know, I never really thought of. Yeah, I've always thought of myself as like a, you know, kind of a test pilot, but I've never thought about my own story really mm -hmm. being something that was like a part of it. It was more about what, what have I been learning? But, you know, as I get older, it's kind of like, wow, I look back, you know, I was raised by a single mom mm -hmm. who sold Mary Kay cosmetics. Yeah. And, you know, I always tell people it means that I learned all about the principles of success from women. Mm -hmm. And it means that I know more about makeup than I do about cars, <laughs> which are both true stories. Yes. <laughs> um, but growing up, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. My, my mom was um, like uh, in her late teens when she uh, got pregnant and she had my brother. She was married to his dad for a couple of years. They got divorced. And then she met my, my biological father um, had me when she was 22. And then six months after I was born, he was gone. And so there she is, you know, 22 year old mom, no kid or, or no, no college education, two kids. And, you know, we lived in a trailer, um, in a trailer park and we didn't have much. And yet the, uh, one of the things my mom told me early on was she said, you know, Rory success in life ultimately comes down to the choices that you make. And she, she made me believe that anything was possible if I was willing to make the right choices. Ultimately, my first book, Take the Stairs, really became a metaphor of that, you know, belief system that my mom installed. And in fact, you know, I did martial arts when I was young and I didn't like it because I wasn't good at it. I was getting beat up and it mm -hmm. was hard. And my mom used to say, that's okay, Rory, because enjoying it isn't a requirement of doing it. Mm. Enjoying it isn't a requirement of doing it. And, you know, I think that was part of the foundation for uh, my study of self-discipline, which ultimately became the Take the Stairs book and that metaphor for that successful people 
all are people who do the things they know they should be doing, even when they don't feel like doing them. And even when the people around them do other things, um, yeah. i.e., you take the stairs instead of the escalator. And so, you know, that was how I started. I, um, were you going to say something? Yeah, I wanted to, because I think that this, I think a lot, well, and you have two kids. How old are your, yeah. how old are your kids? Right. So my oldest is four years old now. And then um, our youngest, so so Jasper is our oldest. He's four. And then our youngest, Liam, is almost two. <laughs> you know, I see you have, when you say my oldest is four, it's like, oh man, <laughs> anything you say after that is, I mean, that's, you, you're yeah, in it, right? It's crazy. You're, you're, oh. you're, you are, you are in it right now. We, um, well, and, and, you know, we sold our, our last company in 2018. So mm-hmm. here's our life from 2018. We sell our company, which included all of our social media, our old podcast, wow. our client list, everything is gone. So we start completely over from scratch in 2018. We get pregnant, have a baby, launch a startup, COVID hits. That is our, that is our world the last three years. Yeah. It, I mean, it was, yeah, it's, um, it's been a strange, these, there are stories we will tell about these years. Uh, that's yeah. what I keep telling on the days that it's really hard. I'm like, Oh, this is, this is going to be a story. This is, this is going to be a good one, you know, at some point. Um, but, but I have, so my son just turned 10, uh, and my daughter is eight and, I bring this up because what you just said right there, the power of choice, I don't think is taught enough. I don't think it's taught to our children. I think it's the Mm. most important thing that we can teach our children. And then when it comes to entrepreneurship, like choosing to do the things that, that are, that are hard. And, and when you do look at other, when you look, it it really does come down to something very simple. When you look at someone who is where you want to be, and where you aren't, the tendency is to think that they have something you don't, or they, you know, they're, they're, it, it, we can make up all these stories about right. that person. And I think it's such an easy, basic, and almost always true scenario to say to yourself instead, I wonder what choices they made. And, you know, like what, what, what choices did they make? Not, not, not even necessarily on a big level, like, oh, I chose to move here or I chose to marry this person or I, you Mm -hmm. know, but on those, those daily, it's those small choices that, and, and knowing that when, you know, that, that, that gives you agency then in there. When I'm talking to my son and something goes wrong or he didn't do his homework and he's mad at me because he wants to play video games with his friends because that's the only way he can see his friends because we're in New York City during COVID. And and it's like my fault. And I'm like, that was your choice not to do your homework when you were supposed to. Um, uh, our life, Our life is, like our life today is the summation and the expression of the choices that we have made. And that was something that I gravitated, you know, I grasped fairly, fairly early on. It was, you know, I remember this is how I wanted to be a speaker. You know, people say, you know, how did you want to be a speaker? And that was my thing. Like my dream was to be a speaker. I was like, and, and then I became an author and then I became an entrepreneur and then I became a marketer. And now I guess I'm an editor and a writer, right? Like, (laughs) um, but, but I was in sixth grade. The true, this is a true story. I was at Platte middle school, P 
PMS, where I went to middle school at PMS, and this guy walks <laughs> yeah. in. Nice. Um, sounds guy, like middle school, just right back <laughs> Sounds like middle school, exactly, right? <laughs> so they bring in this speaker guy, and he tells... He was really funny, but he told this horrible story about like how he was dealing drugs and his brother got murdered and his, his, he went to jail and then his best friend got, you know, like kidnapped and all these horrible things, you know, and and yet he was like the guy up there on stage, like talking about why you should make good choices. And I thought, I wonder what would happen if you made good choice. Like he's up there going, I made all the wrong choices and this is where it has led me. And I said, yeah. I wonder what would happen if you made good choices and then, you know, like they, they started multiplying on top of, mm -hmm. of each other. What, what would the trajectory of that life look like? And, and so basically, you know, my, I think my life was very, very much has been an experiment in that direction. And, and one, one of, um, you know, probably my most famous quote from the take the stairs book is something we call the rent axiom that says success is never owned success is only rented mm -hmm. and the rent is due every day because it doesn't matter what choices that you made yesterday. All that matters is the choice that you make right now mm -hmm. and knowing the impact of the choice that you make right now, um, again, times the choice you make tomorrow times the choice you make the next day. And there is, th there is, you know, what Darren Hardy would call that compound effect where it's mm -hmm. like there there is an accelerated or an accentuated display of those choices over the long term. It's yeah. kind of like, um, you know, we all understand investing money. Um, and it's kind of like choices are investments and they're mm -hmm. either good investments or they're bad in investments. And that ultimately our life is just a reflection of those choices. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, so let me, let me ask you this question. This has been, it's been on my mind, you know, I'm the, I'm always fascinated by stories. Um, do you think it's a requirement then as a, I'm thinking about the gentleman that you saw on stage who had this story, you know, this terrible story of all these hard things mm. that happened to him and he was able to rise above it. Something that I get asked a lot actually from people who want to be an entrepreneur, who want to build their own brand and they come to me and say, but I don't have a big story. Like I grew up in a loving home. I played, you know, soccer in high school. I went mm -hmm. to college or I didn't like, I kind of, what do you like, what do you think as the entrepreneur editor, that relationship between the story of hardship, is it required in order to have that big message? Well, this sounds more like a question of personal branding, which is more of like the work that we do in Brand what Builders you do Group. Yep. Well, right? so let's so pause you, there for a second. Let's pause there. What are, what work are you doing right now, aside from the work that you're doing with success? Yeah. So our current business is called Brand Builders Group, mm -hmm. and we do one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching to help what we call mission-driven messengers build and monetize their personal brand. Mm -hmm. So we work with anyone who has a calling on their heart to express their message out into the world. And we teach them how to do that, how to grow their reach, and then how to convert convert that reputation into revenue. Yep. Um, so we work with huge you know, podcasters like Lewis Howes and lots of speakers and consultants and coach types. And then we work with a lot of like professional services, like 
accountants, financial advisors, doctors, lawyers, and then um, mm-hmm. a good number of like entrepreneurs where it's like they're just using their personal brand yep. to drive awareness to their business. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we work with some direct sales, direct sales people and then other executives who are mostly just using their personal brand to try to get promoted, right? Yep. Or to like grow their career. But we don't work with companies. We work exclusively with individual people. Um, and one of the greatest sources of imposter syndrome is the idea that my story isn't extravagant enough. Mm-hmm. My story isn't dramatic enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm, I'm not blank enough, old enough, rich enough. Um, and here's the thing that is true. All of, all of imposter syndrome is self-centered. Mm-hmm. Every one of those phrases is, I'm not uh, blank enough. My story isn't blank enough. And the key is to break free of being self-centered and to move into what we call service-centered, which is ultimately your audience doesn't care about your story. Um, It's not that they don't care about you, but what they care more about is themselves. Mm -hmm. What, What you are there to do is improve their life not prove to them that you deserve to be there. They actually don't care. And in most cases, the fact that you have the mic or that you have the attention, the credibility is already assumed, mm-hmm. right? Like you're already there. It's your own insecurity that makes you feel like you have to, you know, display a, a level of positioning or authority to feel like you earn the right to be there. But the audience, what they're trying to do is, live a better life and solve Mm -hmm. real problems. And, you know, we say you never feel fear when the mission to serve is clear. Mm -hmm. If you feel fear, it's because you're self-centered. It's because not selfish. It's not like you're taking away from people. It means you're self-centered. You're self-absorbed. You're not service-centered. You're not audience-centered. You're not team Mm -hmm. member-centered. And that's where we got to get. That's why I, I, it's, Hearing you say this, I'm I'm back in at an event. One of my it was my first big event as a keynote speaker, and this is a audience can mean many different things, right? It isn't necessarily people sitting in an audience. It could be your social media audience. It could be your audience could be your team. It could be so so we use audience in a, in a general way, but in this specific instance, the audience was like a room full of people. And it was my first time. And I have, I was suffering major imposter syndrome. And to the point where I was in my hotel room, wondering if I could sneak out the back, like, like if I could run away, like if I could, if I could get in a, if I could just go out the back of the hotel and leave before I had to give my speech, I was, I w- I'm like, I'm getting um, tense just thinking about it. I was so wound up and I called my husband, Michael, who's, you know, you know, Michael, uh, mm-hmm. but he's a great, awesome. he's a great team member. And he's also, sometimes he just says the exact right thing at the exact right time. I called him and I said, I can't do this. I don't know why I'm here. I'm, I'm going over my, what I want to say. And I can't, I'm like, I have to leave that. I can't, I'm not made for this. I cannot do this. He said, you've made this about you. Like, this isn't about you. This is about the people who will be in the room tomorrow. And they need to hear what you are going to give them. It has nothing to do with, you've made this about you. 
And there was, it's exactly what yours. I hadn't realized that I had, I was so worried about what they were going to think about me. And was I going to be, and it was, it was, it was me, me, me. It was I, I, Am I, I funny enough? Is my content good? Are exactly. they going to like me? Exactly. Am I going to forget my line? Am I going to, am I going to be able to, it was a 90 minute keynote, your first one being a 90 minute keynote. And That's I had to long, do three yeah. of them in a row, you know? So I was like, and he said, you've made this about you. And, and it was true. I, from that moment, I thought, wait, this has, I'm here to give. And, and it really was like one of the big launching points of my career, because when I was standing up on that stage, I was there to give. Um, and I do think that anytime you find yourself, you put it so clearly struggling with, we hear about, a lot about, I can't tell you the number of success conversations I've had or Q and A's where people are like, what do I do about imposter syndrome? This is it right here. It's, you've made it about and, you. And we believe, right? Everyone talks about your calling, right? Like <laughs> what's your calling? What's your calling? So when we're working with a mission-driven messenger and we use that term deliberately, right? Like we're good at making money. We teach people how to make money. We like money, mm -hmm. but our focus is on mission. Our focus is on reputation over revenue. Um, and so we're working with people specifically who have a calling, and what we believe, Kendra, is that the calling that you feel to share your message, tell your story, express yourself, et cetera, is the result of a signal that is being sent out by somebody else. Mm. And there's actually somebody else out there right now who needs you more than you need them. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're feeling insecurity shows up as a mask for that, but really that signal they are sending to you. And, you know, so what we do at brand builders group is our, our goal is to facilitate that connection and to sort of enable that transference. And one of the ways to do that is that the, the messenger, the messenger has to be willing to be focused on the receiver instead of on themselves as the messenger. Mm -hmm. And then it happens because that when, when I'm not here to prove myself to you or where I'm not here to prove myself to me, mm -hmm. yeah, it allows me to stand in a place of where I can just serve you mm -hmm. and um, and not try to, um, you know, there's no posturing there, there's, 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 there's no pretense, um, because I'm just here to serve you. And if you, if you go for, uh, um, uh, achievements, you, I, we were talking about Jamie Kern Lima before who yeah. I, I absolutely adore. She was such a um, great guest on the podcast. I was like, I just want to spend more time with you. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. her. And, and she actually just shared something that I had shared with her, uh, in one of our private conversations, she shared, shared this publicly and, uh, we're, uh, you know, she was feeling pressure like authors do always, right? We always have, we always have pressure for, and, and putting on events and things. I think hers was more around her, this big event that she was putting on. And, and I told her, I said, if, if the goal is to achieve, there are wins and losses. Mm -hmm. And so you feel pressure, but if the goal is to serve, mm -hmm. there are only wins. Mm -hmm. There's no way that I can lose or fail if I am just here to serve you. And I think people ask the wrong question. They say, you know, what is my purpose? 
what is my calling? And I think the right question or the better question is to say, how can I help? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think it's, um, I've had those moments where, and I'm sure we all have, where you can tell the dif- you can tell the difference when you're like, oh, I'm here for an achievement. Like I, this is the, this is the goal. This is what I'm working towards and I'm going to get it or I'm not. Um, mm-hmm. And then you've had those moments where you just, it just feels different. Which was most of my life, by the way. Like yeah. this, this is so salient for me because I woke up one day literally going, oh my gosh, I've spent my entire life pursuing achievements. Yeah. And that that isn't, I mean, I, so, so for example, I'm, I'm experiencing the difference right now in, uh, so I just handed in the manuscript for my book. We were talking about this. I remember my first book. I know I'm so excited. Well, so it's so so interesting because I remember my first book and we were in touch for my first book because you had had a really successful launch of your book. I wanted to do that. And I was all about the, how many books do, how many books do I need to sell? Where do they, what are the rules? How do I get on the bestseller list? I want the bestseller Mm -hmm. list, not just any bestseller list. I want the New York times bestseller list. I want the wall street journal bestseller. That's all, that's all I cared about. And it was interesting because it really did motivate me. It was really nice to have that like singular goal. It, it dictated a lot of my, um, a lot of my activities, which was helpful when you're, and I think that's one of the things that's hard with entrepreneurship and success is sometimes you're just kind of, you're just kind of going along and flailing about. Yeah. Yeah, You're trying to figure it out. Yep. So that, that goal, but it was a very, um, achievement flavored Mm -hmm. goal. Um, and with this next book, it's entirely different for me and it feels very strange and I feel like maybe it's wrong, but I find myself just wanting as many people as possible to have this message. If, if it's the message they need. So it's interesting to hear you talk about mm-hmm. signal and in, in, in a way having that really be the thing that is driving. It seems weird because it isn't achievement. It isn't lists and numbers. It isn't money. Um, but I feel like it's the right thing. So, so I want to ask you a little bit about that. Like it's an interesting place that are convert. Like, m- what do you think about motivations and using, like you said, we like to make money. Like you like to, ma- you help your people. Like, how do you reconcile that so that it mm-hmm. is a healthy, because it can serve you. I, what do you think? Yeah, I, 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 no, I follow you. I don't think there's anything bad with achievement. I don't want to, I don't, yeah. you know, don't, I want to make sure people don't hear what I'm not saying is, you know, it's, it's, I mean, Look, it goes back to that original thing that I said about Maslow's hierarchy. Self-actualization is high up on the ladder. It is motivating. It is driving. What I'm saying is there is a level beyond it because mm-hmm. here's the thing. And, and look, okay, so this is funny. I'm going to share a data point with y'all. Oh, okay? do it. All right. Share the so, data. So, so I am a New York Times bestselling author, right? So let's pretend that you become a New York Times bestselling author. Great. After that then what? Yeah. Like once you've done that, then what? And if you're, it's one of two things, you know, it's one of a few things. So one is like, okay, I've made it, I've arrived and I'm done. Or it's, oh crap, I have to do it again. Mm-hmm. Right. The only person who feels more pressure to become a New York times bestseller is someone who hit it once. Cause then mm-hmm. it's like, oh, you don't want to be the one hit wonder. Like, oh yeah, my gosh, exactly. like you don't want to be that guy. <laughs> like, and, 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 um, 
or you realize, you know, it's like, like all achievements you go, Oh, it was amazing. It's such an honor. And then one day it, you know, it's great. It's wonderful. And then it fades and it's like, okay, um, what now? And the only thing that, that has that really that lasting, meaningful significance is it doesn't come from a title. It comes from helping someone else succeed. You know what fires me up is when our clients hit the New York Times bestseller yeah. list or the yeah. Wall Street Journal or number one in their Amazon category. Yeah. It, it, it's a, it is a stronger, deeper, more enjoyable feeling it's why people are so connected to their kids, right? They're so yeah. they, we give our life for our children, and and I, I'm gonna I want to throw out this data point because one of the things that we actually did we haven't released this yet actually, so I'm not even supposed to be saying this, but um, <laughs> Brand Builders do. Group. Um, so AJ, my wife, who you know, yeah. um, is our, is our CEO. She's yes. she's actually the CEO. She runs she she runs the strategy in the company, and she. Um, uh, invested in an independent nationwide research study. Mm -hmm. So we hired this independent firm and we went out and we did a sample weighted to the U.S. population. So this is a U.S. statistic. One of the questions that we asked, because we're trying to find answers for our clients, right, is we said, how important are each of the following when it comes to hiring someone? And we actually asked, they have a TED Talk. They have a book. They have a self-published book. They have a Wall Street Journal best-selling book. They have a New York Times best-selling book. They have YouTube videos, all this stuff, et cetera, et cetera. You know what was only 36% of people out of this long list said a best-selling book matters to them. It was the lowest of all of the things that we asked about. Right. That that in our mind, we're totally caught up in it. Our audience doesn't freaking care. Uh, Most yeah. of them don't even know what it is. Yeah. And that's true about every industry, right? We're yeah. pursuing the lifetime achievement award to get the green jacket or the tr this trophy or whatever. Your customers don't care. They don't know what it is. They don't yeah. understand what the three letters after your name even mean. The number one thing that 62% of customers said that uh, it matters when it comes to hiring them, testimonials mm. about their work from real life people. Mm. That is the number one criteria in terms of whether or not someone hires you is not the awards and the credibility. It is real life testimonials from real people going, I worked with Kendra and she was freaking amazing. Yeah. Right. Like, it. and that is so true. It's, it's the lives we impact. It's others actualization. It's proof that what we do has brought value to other people, not proof that what we have done has been that, that we are valuable. Yeah. Yep. So if you're listening to this right now and stressing out because you don't have your testimonials together, you can pause this interview and go get some testimonials, right? Yes, you should. <laughs> you should. It actually does matter. So, okay. So Rory, I want to talk a little bit now about this. This is something else that's that's really been on my mind. I've been talking to several of my high-performing friends, um, entrepreneurs. You know, I'm an entrepreneur. You're an entrepreneur. We work with entrepreneurs. Um, and even now, I would say that we work from home, that even 
like companies that intrapreneurs are working from home, scheduling is becoming a thing. But for entrepreneurs in particular, I, um, I find myself uh, struggling and I, and I think a lot of people do with what should my day look like and what should my Mm. week look like and how much time should, and am I spending enough time? Am I giving enough effort? Should I take more time off? Should I, I would love to hear from you whether like whether from your experience with your clients or personally um and this crosses into the lifestyle like what does a day look like like what have you how do you make and manage your time mm, yeah so this is this is a big question it's something people struggle with and i was so busy yeah buried behind and overwhelmed for so many years we actually went on a several year journey to answer this question. How do mm. ultra performers think about time? Um, and by the way, so I did a Ted talk called how to multiply time, mm. which if you haven't seen, it's totally free, right? It's a Ted talk right. was based on that book. So procrastinate on purpose, five permissions to multiply your time was my second book. That was all about this question. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, if you want the free version, just go watch the, the Ted talk, how to multiply time. And I think I was, I set out kind of looking for the same thing. Like, just give me the template. Like, just give me the, like, just tell me what to do. And what I realized is it's not so much about what to do. And it's not that there is a a prescribed formula. What these ultra performers do, which we later use the term multipliers, which we would classify as the top 1% of any industry or space. It's not what they do that is different. It's how they think that is different. Most people and, 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 and multipliers think using something that we, we, we now call, we coined this term, the significance calculation. Mm. Um, so you're probably familiar with like Dr. Covey's time management matrix yeah. of importance and urgency, right? Yep, yep. So in, in Seven Habits, which, you know, that book changed the world. He introduced, you know, that basically not all tasks are created equal because in era one thinking, era one time management thinking was very one dimensional. It was all about efficiency. How do I do things faster? And it was based on what was happening in the world, the manufacturing era, yeah. World War One, World War Two, and, you know, the, the Model T Ford and its production. How do I do things efficiently? That worked for a while. Well, in the late 80s, Dr. Covey noticed the world had changed and he introduced a two-dimensional model, Mm -hmm. uh, what we call era two thinking, which is urgency and importance. Um, And that basically ushered in the whole strategy of prioritizing time, which was basically going, not all tasks are created equally. The quadrant, right? Yeah. The quadrants. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. And so he taught us to score our tasks and then to prioritize, which means to focus first on what matters most. Well, what I started to notice was that even though I had learned that when I was in, you know, high school right. and I had been prioritizing and pretty much every manager I'd ever worked for and every training I'd ever been through talked about, you know, urgency and prioritizing. Everybody knew that 25 million people bought the book and yet people still feel overwhelmed. And what that's when we went on this journey, we found out that multipliers make a third calculation called significance. Okay. And here's the, di- here's the difference. Importance is how much does something matter? 
Urgency is how soon does something matter, but significance is different. Significance is how long is this going to matter? Mm. In other words, what is the impact of this task on the future? And the significance calculation changes everything. And that is what led us to the discovery of how to multiply time. Now, it's funny because this book doesn't sell as well as Take the Stairs, which wait, is... Wait, wait. So it wasn't a New York Times bestseller? It, it wasn't. It's oh, a failure. Man, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a failure. <laughs> um, uh, the TED Talk, it's funny because the TED Talk does really, really well, um, but the book had a different title and the book doesn't sell that well. Um, the book's called Procrastinating on Purpose. The TED Talk's called How to Multiply Time. How well, to Multiply Time is a title, Rory. Come on. Come I, on. I've, been, I've been trying. Um, <laughs> but anyways, when people hear How to Multiply Time at first... They think I'm exaggerating. They think yeah. it's like a superlative, like it's like yeah. it's marketing hyperbole. When I say multiply time, I'm not exaggerating. I'm saying it it is literally possible to multiply time. That we codified how it is it is possible to create more time and it fries the chip in our brain because we've all been told the one thing you can never create more of is time. Yeah. It's not true. It is true inside of the context of one day, which is the urgency calculation. There's nothing I can do to create more time inside of one day. We all have the same, yeah, the 20, same 24 hours, four hours yeah. right? Which is 1,440 minutes or 86,400 seconds for, more data. The, nerdy, for the nerdy, the nerdy types. <laughs> okay. So there's nothing I can do to create more time inside of one day, but that's exactly the problem. Most of us wake up and we say, what's the most important thing I have to do today? Mm -hmm. But that is not how multipliers think. Multipliers actually ask the question, what are the things I can do today that create more time in the future? Mm -hmm. And so here is in one sentence how it is literally possible to multiply time. You multiply time by giving yourself the emotional permission to spend time on things today that create more time tomorrow. There are certain things that I can do right now that will create time in the future. In fact, there's five categories which make up the five permissions in, in the focus funnel, which is what the, the TED Talk and the book are based on. Um, but they're, they're often unexpected. As an example, setting up online bill pay Right. Like when your hair's on fire and COVID is happening, yeah. life's falling apart and the people are going crazy. And it's like, it, you know, Rory Vaden comes along and says, hey, you should take two hours to set up online bill pay. Most people go, what? Like, how stupid? Like, what could be more insignificant than that? But they're thinking of insignificance in the more like profound sense, not in the literal sense of yeah. how does it affect tomorrow? Because if you invest two hours to set up online bill pay today, you save yourself 30 minutes a month. Let's say it saves you 30 minutes a month. Well, then after four months worth of time, you have broken even on that investment. And then every month thereafter, you'll be getting something that we call ROTI, mm -hmm. return on time 
invested, mm-hmm. um, where th- th- that system is creating time for you that you would not otherwise have. Yeah. Um, yeah. This this is called automate, uh, yeah. which is the permission to invest, and and we said um, automation is to your time exactly what compounding interest is to your money. Mm -hmm. So just like compounding interest takes money and it turns it into more money, automation, anything you create a process or a system for takes time and it turns it into more time because the, the, the system, the process, the code, the tool, the technology is doing it in the future. Automation is one of the greatest forms of leverage that exist. And yet most of us are aware of systems Mm -hmm. and tools and processes that could be improved and we don't do them. Why? We say, I don't have time. I don't have time to set up that process. I don't have time to create that system. So we call this, this permission is the permission to invest because just like you never have extra money laying around to invest, you have to sacrifice something in the short term. You don't go on vacation. You don't buy the car. You don't buy the house. You don't buy the TV. And instead you take that money and you invest. Well, it's the same thing. I have to sacrifice something in the short term, which is where I, you know, we call that procrastinate on purpose, which is where the title of the book comes from, which is too confusing to be a book title, which is why it was a bad title. But, but you procrastinate on purpose with something trivial to create time, which you then invest into the things that multiply time, which are the things that you can spend time on today that create more time tomorrow. And so that's what we do. You know what? I love that word that you, that that you've used. And it sounds like there are several of them, but that is the permission. And, and I do feel like Mm. that is, um, I have the inner editor in my head that's saying, no, you shouldn't be spending your time on this. You should be spending it on that because that thing is more, it, it, in a two dimensional sense is more valuable. One of the things, so I'm, I don't know the other permissions because I didn't know about this book. Although we all show now, we all do now. Now we all know. And now it's going to hit the New York Times bestseller list because (laughs) people listen to this podcast. But I want to throw this out there because I'm a creative and I I have a hard time with those like uh, the the creative aspects that are required in entrepreneurship that, you know, like, oh, building the, you know, the marketing, the market, the vision or whatever it is. Like it's those things that don't have an exact deadline, but need to be done. Um, so, so for example, um, I, I wrote this last book in two, I set aside two months to write the book. I told you this because mm-hmm. I wanted a very short period of time so that procrastination was not possible. I could, I did not think I could physically write enough words in that amount of time. Like I couldn't, I couldn't get sloppy with my time. Um, and now I'll, I'll write another book. And I've found myself, maybe you've done this too, but when you're writing that much, now I'm in, not in the best physical shape. COVID did me in, we can't, we can't, mm. we couldn't work out inside because we're, you know, so fine. I made choices, my choices added up, right? So I'm not in the best physical shape right now, but my writing shape is sharp. Like I am, mm-hmm. because I was, it was the repetition. I was writing, 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 writing. And it made me great. Like I can, I can write an email. I can write a So that was really good. And I said to myself afterwards, I handed in the manuscript and I'm like, I want to stay in great shape. 
So I want to keep writing every day. But then I thought, well, what are you going to write for? Like, you're not writing for anything. You don't have a book due. You're not writing a blog. Like, I'm not writing a blog. I don't want to just write Instagram captions because that's, you know, so, so what are you even writing for? And I had this whole conversation in my head. That's not worth your time. You're not writing for a purpose. You're just writing because you, and now I realize that if I write like 500 words a day, just for fun, just in the morning, if I just make that investment, if I give myself permission to do that, one of the hardest things with writing is staring at a blank page, right? Like that is one of the hardest things with writing a book is getting started because all you can see is a blank page. But if I start this book, you know, a year from now, I will have had 500 words a day, you know, Mm -hmm. for, and all of a sudden it could I could essentially do it all in one day because they'd all yeah. be there. The book right? writes itself. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. So is that there's what a couple you're talking things. about. Is that part? Am I? Am I? Um, that's Ooh. not what I'm talking. That's not so much like that's basically taking an elephant and eating it one bite at a time. Oh yeah. Right. So so which isn't a bad thing, but what I would say is I would go. So media is one of the other ways to multiply time. It's mm-hmm. one of the reasons we got into the business that we're in now. Because, you know, look at you multiply time by spending time on things today that create more time tomorrow. So if I have to have a one-on-one conversation with every single person I meet to tell them about my book, it's going to take a lot of one-on-one conversations to sell a lot of books. Yeah. yeah. But if I create a video about my book or I write something, an article that people can read. Now that piece of content, each piece of content is like a, it's like adding a member to your army. Mm -hmm. Every time I have a piece of content out there in the world, and, and we have a whole system that we actually teach at Brand Builders Group for this thing. But if you think of it as like every piece of content is like a member of my army that is going out and expanding my business. It's like a salesperson. Each video, each article, each caption, each podcast is one of the reasons why I took this position at success, right? So there's a lot of reasons. I really, I really like Glenn. We've been working together. Uh, I, I love the brand. Yeah. I believe in personal development, yada, yada, yada. But the other thing is a piece of content is like a salesperson. It's out there working for for me, uh, f- introducing. I mean, it's what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to you, but however many people are listening here, millions. I'm sure ten, tens of millions. Um, this piece of content is creating impact without me being there. So it's taking however long this is taking us to record it. But I'm giving myself permission to spend this time because this time gets multiplied. It gets multiplied out times as many people listen. So media is a great example of a multiplier. Um, People say, I don't have time to, I don't have time to do a YouTube channel. I don't have time to podcast. I don't have time to blog. Yeah. Welcome to the club. I don't either. But when you realize, wait a minute, it took me 10 minutes to create that video and 700 people saw it on YouTube. A lot of people, and here's the other stupid thing that we all do. We go, oh my gosh, only 200 people saw that YouTube video. I'm a loser. <laughs> Jay Shetty's videos, like if he gets 10 million views, his are, it's a fail, right? Yeah. Like, and it's like, why would I do this? I'm no Jay Shetty. I can't get 10 million views. And we go, you know, why am I wasting time creating these YouTube videos that 200 people are seeing? And yet... If I said right now, there's a room next door with 200 people 
and you've got 10, you get to, I'm, you're going to stand on stage in front of 200 people. For most of us, our heart would start beating. Our, we would get excited. Our pulse would start like racing, right? And it's like, whoa, 200 people. That's a good yeah. audience. Yeah. Like 200 yeah. people is a great audience. Yeah. And you're, it's multiplying. Media is a multiplier. Well, now you see, this is where, this is the little known book that now everyone, that now everyone needs to run. Procrastinate on purpose. The best book that no one ever bought. Um, (laughs) uh, But a lot of people watch the TED Talk. A lot of people, uh, millions, millions of people have watched the TED Talk, which is kind of ironic, but. uh, Yeah. You're like, oh, well, you know, there it is. Yeah. It'll come Um, around. One last question before um, I let you go, because I know we're, we're coming up on time here. Um, but I think especially as we, so we're recording this, what, April, 2021. Um, I think in varying degrees, it depends on where you live, both in the United States, which is where we are in the world. Um, but I think many of us are getting this sense that at some point we're going to, we're going to transition into the next version of what life is, right? So, mm-hmm. so it's either for some people, it's going to be going back to the office. For some people, it's going to be, you know, like it's going to mean more travel. It's going to mean, um, and I've been talking to a lot of my friends here that are colleagues that are entrepreneurs that are, that work in offices. And, and there's this sense of how do we not lose the lessons that 2020 gave us when it came to, and work-life balance is such a, it's, it's a, it's a phrase that's thrown around a lot, but it means something. How do we make sure that we, cause I don't know about you, but 2019, I was out of 2018. I was out of my mind. Like it was, it was busy, busy, busy. It was go, go, go. And I didn't even know it um, until it all came to a screeching halt. So what are some you know, and I have my, you know, the, the things that I'm thinking about as, as we transition, but what are some of the things that you've learned or your insights or things that are top of mind for you as you think about, uh, and maybe it's aside from COVID, but as you think about work-life balance, like how do you make sure that they work together? Well, again, you know, I think when people think of work-life balance, they think of kind of compartmentaling volumes of time. Yeah. I I've never liked balance as a as a yeah. concept for time just because the definition of the word balance means equal force in opposite directions, mm-hmm. which kind of implies that to be balanced it's about the volume of time I'm spending on tasks. Now, I would agree that we could all afford to probably spend a little more volume of time on relationships with our families and and stuff yeah. than than work, but but I don't believe that success is about volume of time. Yeah. Uh, working out's a great example, right? It's like you don't have to work out eight hours every day to be in great shape. But if you were going to be balanced, you would sleep eight hours a day, work eight hours a day, and exercise eight hours a day. That's the sure. only way you could achieve true balance. Um, it's more about selecting the significant activities, Here's the two paradigms. Most of us try to do it all. How do I fit it all in? Mm-hmm. Or most of us compartmentalize and block and we say, I'm going to spend this much time on this and this much time on that. I think being a multiplier is more fluid and adaptive and it is not about 
necessarily saying I'm trying, it's definitely not about I'm trying to do it all. And it's not about limiting myself to certain amounts of times on things. It's just simply asking what is the next most significant thing I can do? What are the significant relationships? What are the significant tasks? And when I say significant, I'm using that term in the literal sense as we think about it of the impact it has on tomorrow. Not significant in terms of like, yeah, you know, oh, it, it, it matters a lot. Yeah. Other than it's like, what is the impact? Well, if I, if, if, if I want to have a good relationship with my wife and my kids in the future, I have to make choices, investments, and uses of time today in a certain way that make that possible in the future. But I also don't think I have to spend eight hours a day with my kids to have mm-hmm. the kind of relationship with them that I want to have. Yeah. It's probably more focused than that. Yeah. Um, um, so it's just about figuring out what is significant. What are the things that you can do right now that create more time, more impact, more money, m- more results in the areas of life that you you care about? And it's giving yourself permission to say yes to that deliberately so that you don't accidentally say no to the things that really do matter. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, and I heard there was a nuance in there and, and it's one that I've had to work through personally. And that is also what works for me and my family. Uh, it's really Amen. easy to compare yourself to other people and and what this mom is doing or what this dad or what they, you know, like what this family does for, I remember for my daughter's sixth birthday, I was doing an event in Las Vegas. We had, you know, like it, there was this whole thing and I'm like, I guess her sixth birthday is going to be poolside in Las Vegas. And I felt so bad about it. And she actually now for her ninth birthday wants to go back and have a birthday party. (laughs) But it just, it looks different. And I think that we also, um, if I've learned anything throughout the pandemic and everything moving and changing in um, our schools here, we never know when they're going to be open. Like they could be open today, closed tomorrow. I mean, we are definitely living in this place of suspension where you just kind of have to, you just have to go with it, which I've never been good at before, but to know that there is some, like you're going to find different things that work now and that don't work later and to, and to kind of let go of that tension and, and float with it a bit. Yeah. And they work, they work for, when you say they work for your family, I think that's good. You know, like the, the thing with your daughter is such a great example, right? Because you go, I'm a bad mom because we're doing her birthday in Las Vegas. Um, and you're going, where does that come from? And, 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 and it's like, well, it comes from what I think I'm supposed to do. It comes from what my mother told me. It comes from what I see on social media. It comes from my friends. All that is self-centered. Yep. The only thing that matters is, did your daughter have an awesome birthday that yeah. she loved? Like, here's the thing too. I'm going to say this. This isn't fully vetted. So, you okay. know. We'll the whole it. world can't hold me to this yet, but I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead for the first time publicly and put this out there. I've heard in the past that love is spelled T I M E. You ever heard that? Oh yeah. 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 People say love is spelled T I M E. And I've always like gone, well, yeah, that's pretty good. Right. Like you should spend time with the, the people you yeah. love and yeah, yeah, that's a good, <sighs> but I don't think it's true. Mm-hmm. 
I think love is spelled S E R V E. Mm-hmm. Serve. Mm-hmm. Love is about service. Mm-hmm. Love is about me doing whatever I can do to make my daughter have the best freaking birthday that she in could have. Way, in your way, too. Yeah. In, like, in, in, in the in, way that only you can. In her way. But in, in her, her way. way. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And it's it's not even your way. It's no. in her way. Yep. Like you know, does it have to be on her date? I don't think it does. My mom loves the crap out of me. And I'm, I'm, I'm able to give love because I've received love my whole life. Like we never had a lot of money, but I've always had a mama that just loved me unconditionally. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't verify factually that all my birthday parties were on, on my actual birth date. Yeah. Yeah. And some of my best birthday parties were at like friend's house. Yeah. I know my mom never had money, but I remember great birthday parties because she wanted to make me feel special. She, it it wasn't about her feeling like a good mom. It wasn't about her looking good to the neighbors. Like we just didn't have any money. We couldn't even play that game. Yeah. You you weren't even (laughs) in that. Yeah. That wasn't your, no. It was just about service. Right. And so it's like, we're going to have an awesome time. Like, what do you want to do today? Yeah. Like, we're in Vegas. We're in Paris. We're, we're who cares? Yep. It, today's about, today's about you. Like, yep. Yep. and whether it's on the actual birthday or not, I think parents use little things like that to, to beat themselves. Beat moms, themselves especially moms yep, just exactly. beat themselves up so much. And it's like, your kid yep. doesn't care what date the party was on. The kid cares that you actually freaking love them and that yeah. you would do anything for them. Yep. And, you know, if we're, if we're serving them again, if you're trying to achieve, there's wins and losses, but if you're trying to serve, there's only wins. And that brings us full circle, my friends, all the way back to the beginning. Rory, this has been such such a great conversation. Like I, it makes me miss you. We've gotten together like once or twice before. We need to do more of it now. I'll see you in Nashville. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so where else can we find you, Rory? You are in the Success Achievers Club, right? Producing content yes. there. Um, where else do we find you? I mean, uh, you can you can just search me and find me. At, you know, I'm I'm uh, obviously in the Achievers and RoryVadenBlog.com is where I personally blog, and um, BrandBuildersGroup.com is where our company hangs out. But I hang out and, in Achievers. Um, and that's you where have I'm spending a time. podcast yourself, correct? Well, yeah, I have the the news, the Success Line podcast, which is my new weekly podcast that I'm doing here, which is awesome. Um, we're we do a conversation every week, but it's not with an expert per se. It's with real life people who who have questions, and they get to have live one on one coaching with me, that's and that's so cool. the that's the podcast. And um, anyone can actually apply to be on the show if you go to success.com forward slash success line guest. Um, success.com forward slash success line guest. You can request to come on and get a free coaching call with me, um, and that is the episode. And then after the you know we do like a coaching call. Uh, I do a debrief on oh, what what happened in the conversation and how to uh, apply it to your life. So, um, and then I've got my other my other brand builders group podcast that uh, we do as well. With uh, yeah. me and AJ, do that one together. Well, thank you so much for joining us here. It was great to chat. Tell AJ hi. 
Uh, so my love to the boys and, and Rory, we can't he- wait to hear all the rest of the stories you'll tell. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kendra. All the best. If you enjoyed this conversation, look up an inch or down an inch and check out all of our previous discussions. You can find those at iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are sold. And of course, check out the latest issue of Success Magazine by heading over to success.com slash subscribe and get more inspiring stories like this delivered right to your front door. Be sure to give us a review on Apple iTunes, and you can find me at kindrahall.com or on Instagram at kindrahall. That is Kindra with an I. I can't wait to hear the stories you'll tell. Until next time. <laughs>